seeing on in here and I assume you're there online, although I can't see you. <laughs> it's, it's kind of living with an assumption, isn't it? That you're there, but uh, it's, it's great uh, that uh, we're able to start meeting together in, in the building here. Um, just before we kind of begin and look at this passage, just to let you know that the service tonight's at Pelham Street. If you haven't booked up for it already, um, hopefully there'll be some spaces left, but uh, Pastor Andrew's asked us to, we'll have a couple of songs in the service in the building. We're obviously folk can't join in apart from those who are leading but then after the sermon we're going to go outside in the car park and sing two or three songs so if you want to lift your voices uh, then come this evening uh, check online see if there's any spaces and that'd be great to be able to sing praise to God out loud together let's pray Heavenly Father we ask now that as we open our Bibles that you would give us listening ears and responsive hearts and a willingness, and if we have not yet returned to you, Lord, that we will, by your grace. And Lord, if we have particular lessons and challenges to take to heart this morning, that you would speak to us, Lord, help us to be willing to hear them and to listen and respond. And Father, we ask for your help and blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the series is uh, Amos the, the Shepherd Prophet and uh, we're looking this morning at the next in our series here from chapter 4 of Amos which is uh, prepare to meet your God, prepare to meet your God. So very challenging words, are you prepared to meet God? Now the first thing that we see in verses uh, 1 to 2 is about, or well, 1 to 3, is that women are included too. So that's the first point, women too. Now, Amos' sermon has challenged the men of Israel. We've seen that a number of times already. Uh, it's challenged the lawyers, the judges, men who oppress the, the poor and the vulnerable. And in the interest of balance, we've got here with a challenge to the women of Israel, which is uh, put in very stark terms here. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor, and crush the needy and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. Now, of course, uh, calling ladies cows has become a very unkind way of speaking to ladies. But there's a particular context here. Um, and it was talking about these ladies who are from the kind of upper class uh, parts of society. And Bashan, cows of Bashan, well, Bashan was an area famous for its lush pastures and its well-fed cattle. So the idea is not for us to have an excuse to call ladies a bovine creature, but back in the context here is that there were people who were overindulging, well-fed, and they were just indulging in luxuries, like the, the pampered uh, animals on the hills, uh, fertile hills and pastures of Bashan. Basically, there are certain women who just don't care. They're only interested in their pleasure, only interested in accumulating things and in their pleasures. But in a way, even this section here, which is addressed to the women too, still highlights the failure of men in Israel. So us men, we never get away from the challenge too. Because we have a picture here of, of weak men, men who are weak, men who rather than encouraging their wives to be godly, rather than setting a good example themselves, caring for the poor and needy, they are compliant at very least compliant, aiding and abetting their wives in their indulgences. They ask for a drink and all the men do is just give them more drink 
and don't challenge them and encourage them and help them, support them to do what's right. Now, let me ask you, if you were challenged about self-indulgence, it might not be drink, it might be other things. If you were challenged about excessive luxuries with a corresponding lack of care for others, how would you respond? How would you respond? Now, next we have a prophecy of what's going to happen in about 30 years on from Amos's message, and it's the exile. Verse 2. The sovereign Lord has sworn by his holiness. The time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks. He's still addressing the women here. Verse 3. You will each go straight out through breaches in the wall, and you will be cast out toward Harmon, declares the Lord. So, when there's troubles, when there's difficulties, um, when we see this picture of, of women taken captive by an enemy, it's a very sobering image, isn't it, uh, of, of women taken, cap, taken cap, captive by the Assyrians in about 30 years' time. It's a, also an image of proud city walls around Samaria and the other cities in the north of Israel. Walls that are breached and broken, our gates that are smashed. The, Assyri the Assyrians have come. And these walls have been breached, so there's no city gate needed. They're taken out through the walls. Now, Harmon, it mentions this place called Harmon. Harmon on, was on the way through to Assyria. It was at the northern tip of the area of Bashan. So it's all ties together. These ladies who have been called cows of Bashan will be taken out of the city. They'll be taken out through the breaches in the wall. They'll be taken past the fertile fields of Bashan, past a place called Harmon or Hermon, Mount, the mountain, on their way to Assyria. It's a very sad image. Now, we've already seen how the, how the men are not listening to God's warnings to them. Well, maybe the women will listen. Maybe this warning here will, will make them wake up. Maybe instead of asking their husbands for another drink, maybe they'll be urged now to repent. Maybe they'll listen and repent. Or maybe they'll just carry on doing what they're doing and go on into exile. Let me ask you, what would you do? What would you do with this warning? Now we, we find out that sadly, many in Israel, men and women did not listen, and judgment did come, the Assyrians did come. And one of the reasons why ancient Israel was, was facing this judgment is because despite the fact that, that they claimed to worship the Lord, despite the appearance of being religious, if you were passing through uh, the north uh, in Israel, their, if you like, church meetings, although they wouldn't call them that as we do, but their gatherings, their, their worship, their church meetings were in fact, and we come to our second heading, they were sin services. Sin services. And we're looking from verse 4 onwards. It mentions two places, Bethel and Gilgal in this section here. Now, Bethel and Gilgal were the centers of worship set up as alternatives to Jerusalem in the south. That was the place that God had appointed. So these two sites were, were set up, and there were other places set up as well later on. But Bethel and Gilgal were two key centers of, of worship in the north of Israel, if you remember the, the division between the north and south after the Civil War. Now, this message is ironic from God, sardonic even, you might say. Verse 4, go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years. Burn leavened bread as a thank offering and brag about your free will offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites, for that is what you love to do, declares the sovereign Lord. 
Now, we saw in a previous message how the Israelites had cut and pasted bits of paganism and parts of Jewish worship to create a hybrid. That's what was going on in the north in Israel. And the thing is, it was still called worshipping the Lord. They would still have this concept that they were worshipping the Lord. But actual, in actual fact, it was a, a diabolical mix-up of, of paganism and true worship of the Lord, according to the Old Testament. And the, and the Lord was not pleased with this. Of course, he was not pleased, not simply because it wasn't his way, outlined in the Old Testament, in, in Levitic, Exodus and Leviticus and so on. It's not simply that it wasn't his way, although it is important to note that it was God's way because God is God. But God was not pleased also because in this hybrid religion, there was no saviour and there was no service. No saviour and no service. Now, they, they used offerings like the like the proper worship of the Old Testament. As you remember, in the Old Testament, God uh, planned and instructed Israelites to bring offerings to the Lord, to bring tithes, thank offerings, free will offerings, and so on. And the true function of these offerings in the Old Testament were responses, responses of thankfulness to God, what God had done for them. But instead, in the case here, we see that they were used to show off. They were things to brag about, as they loved to do declares the Lord. In the Old Testament instructions, there were different sacrifices. There were sacrifices and offerings for forgiveness, and there were sacrifices and offerings to express thankfulness to God. Now, there's no mention here in Amos of a burnt offering for sin or an offering for sin. And, you know, there's no way you could truly offer that offering, that sacrifice, with a boastful heart. There's no way you could brag when you bring an offering before God with a repentant heart and recognize that someone innocent needs to die in your place, there's no way you can come and brag about that. There's no mention here in Amos of a burnt offering for sin. It's as if these folk are doing religion without a true sense of humility. It seems they don't see the fundamental need for them to be right with God. No healthy sense of their own sin. Now, the burnt offering, the offerings for sin instructed in the Old Testament were really about what God does for us. God providing a way through sacrifice for our forgiveness. And those Old Testament sacrifices start with the offering that shows our fundamental need of forgiveness. It's fundamental for us to have a relationship with God. And also the need that we need a savior. We, we recognize in that offering that we need a savior, that a savior needs to die in our place. And to offer that kind of sacrifice for sin takes humility. It's a recognition of guilt and sinfulness that needs forgiving. But here in these ironic instructions for Amos, there's no burnt offering, no sin offering, because there's no humility. Instead, just opportunities to show off. Offer this, offer that, bring your tithes, bring your thank offerings, and just carry on. It's the kind of sarcastic or sardonic instruction here. Carry on demonstrating human pride. That's what you love to do. How would you feel if God said that about us? That our offerings of thankfulness as we sing and as we come to worship together, it's all about ourselves. It's all about a brag. It's all about being boastful. Well, surely these people should have been cut to the heart when they heard this and repent. You boast about them. For this is what you love to do, declares the Sovereign Lord. 
In effect, what these folk had done is rejected God as saviour. They rejected God's way of sin removal, which of course is the only way. They're not admitting their blatant sins of oppression, injustice, and idolatry. They only use religion to boast and make themselves feel better. That's what they're doing. That's what their religion comes down to, a way to make themselves feel better, to boast about, to virtue signal, to boast about how good they are. There's no saviour in their approach to God, no recognition of a need of a saviour. And there's no service. There's no service. There's no going out and doing things differently, of living a different life in response to what God has done. Even though they're offering things that are supposedly thank offerings to God, they don't go out and care for the poor and the vulnerable and those who are suffering injustice. They are, in fact, they are, in fact, carrying on oppressing and showing injustice to these very people. So there's no service, there's no saviour, and, and there's no service except for self-service. Their worship didn't lead to godly living. They went on from the temples to carry on doing what they'd done before they went. Selling the innocent for silver, we found out in Amos 2. The needy for a pair of sandals, trampling on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and denying justice to the oppressed. So their church services were in fact, were in fact sin services. There's no saviour and there's no service of others. Is that possible for us? Maybe not in a blatant way, but maybe in more subtle ways. Let's search our hearts. Now the third heading is this. Goodness, profits and problems. And the question are you listening? Goodness, prophets, and problems. Now, how does God speak to us? Well, God speaks to us through creation. It's lovely to have the sunshine this morning. And that reminds us that we have a great creator God who, who put that sun in the sky 93 million miles away. Uh, and the beauty of the, the creatures, the birds here, and the birds singing in the trees and all these wonderful things. And we see the beauty of creation. It speaks of God's creativity, his power, his goodness. God speaks to us in our consciences. God has given us that mechanism in our hearts whereby we know a sense of right and wrong and accountability. God speaks to us through experiences, near misses. Wow, the Lord rescued me from that. I was so close to the accident, so close to that happening. Or, or maybe other kind of pleasant experiences, just kindnesses of people showing us graciousness and love. Maybe those experiences of, of, of the sense that there must be more than just the material in this universe. And then, of course, God speaks to us, speaks to us through contacts with people, uh, people who come and speak to us, share the gospel with us, people who encourage us. God speaks to us. But ultimately, we know that God speaks to us through the Bible, and in particular, and if you like, the peak of that is speaking to us through Jesus. In these last days, God has spoken to us through his Son and by his Son. So we've got God's word, God, God's written word, the Bible. It tells us, if you like, in the ultimate revelation of God about the person of Jesus. And of course, the Bible, and crucially, what it says about Jesus is the filter. It's the way to check out what we perceive God is saying to us, to see if it's really true and in line with the Bible. So God speaks to us in all these ways, and ultimately through the Bible, Bible and through his son, Jesus. Now, it's been said before that God whispers to us in those pleasant experiences, those serendipitous moments, those, those moments where we just feel that sense there's more 
than the material in those pleasant experiences of life when we see the beauty of creation God whispers to us when someone says to us I'd love you to come to church with me I'd love you to come and hear a message about Jesus I've been, become a Christian and he's changed my life and God speaks to us he whispers to us it's also been said that God calls loudly in the problems of life, those challenging experiences, those things which leave us recognizing how weak and fragile we are. Do we listen when God whispers? Are we listening when God calls loudly? Sometimes the lion has to roar, and we found that in Amos. And God is roaring at the Israelites now, urging them with this loud roar of the king. Are they going to listen? Are we willing to listen? Now, these ancient Israelites had been spoken to by God in every which way, but many of them still had not listened responsively. Now, verses 6 to 11 of this passage here focus on the ways that God has been stirring Israel to listen, and it focuses in on the troubles that God has used. Now, we mustn't forget that leading up to this, and if you like, in the mix, God, has, if you like, 90% of the time, God has dealt with Israel through the whispers, through the the goodness, good experiences, through good things happening, through the prophets and preachers talking, through the Old Testament scriptures, through the Bible, with the goodnesses of springtime and harvest usually happening like clockwork. So verses 6 to 11, we need to put them in the, in the, paint the background to that, that God, generally speaking, speaks to us in the whispers and in ways that are not the shout or the roaring of the lion. But God's whispers of goodness they hadn't listened to them. The, the Old Testament scriptures, they hadn't taken notice of them. And so, just a selection from verse 6. I gave you empty stomachs because you weren't listening to me. I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Verse 10. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like a burning stick snatched from the fire. Yet you have not returned to me declares the Lord. So can you see what God is doing? Overall, the, in the past, God has spoken to them. It's mentioned earlier on about how God brought them out of Egypt in chapter 3, and God chose them out of all the families of the earth. God had blessed them and dealt with them kindly in so many wonderful ways, but they've not been listening. And then God has brought difficulties and, and troubles and even disasters to them that they might listen and turn to him. Yet you have not yet returned to me, declares the Lord. Now, this passage is not saying that if we always listen to God, we'll never have problems. That's not the case. It's not saying that all our problems are always specific warnings, God rebuking us about specific things. Sometimes, and maybe often, it's just general stuff happening to us. And through it, God will teach us to be patient, to trust in, in him. We don't need to look for super spiritual, extraordinary lessons in every experience of life. We drop a pen on the floor, oh, what's it saying to me, or something like that. We don't need to go over the top about in that sense. But if we are listening to God in general, if we have a heart that is open in general to what God is saying to us, if we have a conscience which is alert to, to God, if we have ears that are ready to read what he says in the Bible, then the, even the ordinary goodnesses of God that we experience will remind us to be thankful, won't they? We will respond with thankfulness to God in the ordinary goodnesses of life. And when the bumps, when we hit the bumps in the road in, in our daily lives or even the deep valleys, we will remember to pray and keep close to God and hold tenaciously, tightly to him. So we need this general 
good listening attitude to God. But if we are resisting God's voice in our lives, if we are not wising up to learn lessons from experiences in life, good or bad, if we gloss over the, the pricking of our consciences, if we dismiss that, that advice given by that Christian friend, or if we put off that clear invitation from the Bible to become a Christian, if we keep resisting, then we, are in, we have a very dangerous attitude and we are in serious trouble. So take, for example, John 3, verse 36. It says there, this is uh, the Apostle John, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Now, are you listening to that? What do we do about it? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. What are you going to do about that? But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. What's the logic of that, of that verse? How should we logically, if we're thinking and listening, respond to that? Well, I, I want to believe in the Son because I want to have eternal life. Surely, surely I need to turn from all that is stopping me from knowing, eternal, knowing God and having eternal life. I, I want to clear the deck so that I can trust and believe and follow Jesus. I don't want to hold on to those things which are holding me away from him. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. That is something to, I need to be saved from. That's something I need to at all costs avoid it's something serious obvious isn't it but do you follow it up do you explore what it means are you willing to respond to a verse like that even if you're a christian surely it reminds us to follow the lord with a fresh vigor and love because whoever believes in the son has eternal life and if 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 it's, if it's true what this verse claims, to ignore it is terrible, isn't it? To ignore it is to face the wrath of God. Our attitude should be that which is expressed in Psalm 25, verse 4 and 5. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. So do we pray, Lord, teach me. Show me. Help me to respond to your word. Do you? do we? Now, sadly, many people in Israel were not listening to God. So instead of meeting God with humility and experiencing him as savior, knowing his salvation, they are called now to prepare to meet God in his judgment. And this reminds us that we all have an ultimate appointment. And that's a fourth and final heading, the ultimate appointment because they've not been listening. Verse 12, therefore, that is, this is what I will do to you, Israel. And because I will do this to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. He who forms the mountains, who creates the wind, and who reveals his thoughts to mankind, who turns dawn to darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord Almighty is his name. So basically, the message is this, stubborn people, you're going to meet the God that you have ignored. The God who is the creator, the one who knows everything, who knows everything about you, who is in charge of everything. The Lord God Almighty, this God is the one you're going to meet, prepare to meet your God. Now, let me ask you, do you want to meet God with an unrepentant heart, stubborn, holding on to your sinfulness? Now, think logically. Is that the way to meet God? 
Is that the way to meet God? Do you want to meet him whilst you're still oppressing the poor would be the message to Israel. And maybe in some way, subtly, we're doing something similar. Indulging yourselves at the expense of others. Do you want to meet him whilst you're ignoring his appeals to you? We will all meet God. That's the one appointment. That's the ultimate appointment that we're going to keep. And God is the judge at the end of every road of life. God is the judge at the end of every road of life. Now, how would you like to meet a judge? If you were up before a judge, if you were uh, accused of something and you were stood up before the judge in court, how would you like to meet a judge? Would you like to meet the judge guilty or guilt-free? You might still have a, a bit of an issue if you have to explain and, and, and kind of uh, prove your innocence uh, in, in that situation, but I would much rather stand before a judge guilt-free and know that I hadn't done it, whatever I was accused of. I would not like to stand before a judge knowing in my heart that I'm guilty. Now, we're all going to meet God, but we can either meet him clinging on to our sins or we can meet him hand in hand with Jesus, the Son of God. We will all meet God, but we will either meet him clinging on to our sins or we can meet him hand in hand with Jesus. Now, if you want to meet God hand in hand with Jesus, guilt-free, you need to listen to Jesus now. We need to listen to him now. The introduction that makes all the difference to how we finally meet God needs to happen in the here and now. And that's why Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the way to the Father, the way to be introduced to the Father is through believing Jesus, through Jesus. Now, not long after Jesus said those words, he went willingly to the cross to pay for our sins to take away our guilt and to enable us to know God now and to be able to meet him face-to-face, guilt-free and as a friend. Now, let me ask you, is that the way that you want to meet God? Well, Jesus is the one who, who makes that possible. Now, in Amos chapter 5, uh, we'll, we'll see how God still appeals to the stubborn Israelites. We see how he, the messages seek me, turn to me, and live. So even at this tipping point when disaster is past the tipping point and disaster is going to come, there's still hope. There's still hope. And the message of the gospel is that in a world that is heading for God's judgment, there is hope for you as an individual. Seek me, turn to me, and live. So, in summary, don't let the pursuit of luxury get a grip on you. Don't become indifferent to the needs of others around you. That's one of the lessons that we see from this chapter. You who oppress the poor, crush the needy, and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. Let's use resources to the glory of God and not in the pursuit of luxury. Don't let luxury get a grip on you. The other thing is this, don't allow, let's never allow our church meetings to become sin services. They're not meetings to make us feel better and then go out and send some more. They're meetings that, where we encounter God, where we are humbled as we remember that Jesus offered that full and final sacrifice upon the cross. We come together to give thanks for what he has done for us and to go out different from the way that we came in. Even if it's just a, a millimeter of change to become more like Jesus. We need to go, come in and go out 
differently. Let's never allow our services to become something which makes us feel, feel better again and then go out to sin some more. Our meetings need to be where we humbly grasp afresh Jesus as our saviour with a repentant heart and go out to serve rather than be served. We also see that we need a teach me Lord attitude that listens to God, that learns wisdom with a teachable and responsive heart, that we don't have to be spoken to in shouts and roars by the almighty God. Then lastly, we need to be ready to meet our God. So we need to trust Jesus as our saviour because he is the way, the truth and the life and the only way to the father, the only way to meet the father with a guilt-free heart. And so we need to hold his hand and we need to allow him to lead us through life. And then we will know that we will enter God's presence without guilt and with great joy. And you know, as God's people, if we're Christians already, let's have that real renewed desire in our hearts when we are taken by the Lord Jesus and brought before the Father's presence, that we will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness in so many ways, that way you speak to us in gentle whispers. Lord, help us to listen. Help us to learn the lessons from the bumps in the road and Lord, even where you've had to shout at us, where you've had to speak loudly to us, we thank you, Lord, that there's forgiveness and we can learn from those failures, those lessons, those difficult experiences. Father, we also want to thank you that Jesus is the way that we can meet you, that we can be prepared to meet our God, not as a, a God who will pour out his righteous anger upon us, but a God who will welcome us and say, well done good and faithful servant. Help us to trust and follow Jesus with all our heart, all of our days, for your good. We give you thanks. Help us to put this into practice. Amen. <laughs>